Welcome to the Assembly of Yahweh Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you're here. For more information, you can visit hallelujah.org or download the AOI app on Apple or Google Play. So as we begin this morning, uh, let's read this all together. I love when we're able to read scripture, so let's just read it together. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O King, and shall glorify your name. Would you raise your hands with me in prayer? Our Father, we choose to do this, this very thing, is to glorify your name. And I pray today that you would use us all as vessels to glorify your name, whether it's in this place, our homes, our places of work, our schools, wherever we may be, that you would be glorified. And as your word says, not to us, but to you alone, be our glory, honor forever and ever. Amen. Well, the reason we are here this week is to honor Yahweh and to worship the one and only true creator. Uh, I'm not even sure if we read through uh, Leviticus chapter uh, 23 yet, uh, speaking about the Feast of Tabernacles, but I'll read this right now. Also, on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of your land, you shall keep the Feast of Yahweh for seven, seven days. All right, first of all, whose feast is this? Yahweh's. Is it the Jews' feast? Is it Israel's feast? No. Is it even our feast? No, it is Yahweh's feast. So we keep his feast for seven days. On the first day there shall be a Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day a Sabbath rest. And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, uh, the boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before Yahweh your Elohim for seven days. You shall keep it as a feast to Yahweh for seven days in that year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh, your Elohim. Amen? So when people ask you, whether it's in town your families, even your children. Why do you do this? It's right here in verse 43. That you may know that Yahweh made the children of Israel dwell in booths when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And we covered a little of this in the week of unleavened bread. And Pastor Ferris asked me to kind of revamp the message a little bit uh, for a new audience. And some of this might be repeat information. But remember that during the week of unleavened bread, we celebrate coming out of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, Yahweh's outstretched arm, entering the promised land, and Yahweh saying to Pharaoh, what? Let my people go. A passage that's often overlooked when we read about the Exodus is this one right here. Exodus 12, verses 37 and 38. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides children. A mixed multitude went up with them also, and flocks and herds, and a great deal of livestock. So what is this mixed multitude? When we read it, it's really foreigners. So it's not just the Hebrew people who left Egypt. It could have been other Egyptians, different groups, different people groups, maybe even people from other parts of the world that were in Egypt and saw what Yahweh was doing, they said, we're going to go with you. We, we, we want, you know, and that's why scripture says, come out of Egypt, my people. 
And so hopefully there's something that you can gain from this. And as always, we're going to start from the very beginning. We need to remember that the Bible is not one book, but rather it is a library. It is a collection of books written in three continents. We have Africa, Asia, uh, Europe. It's written in at least three languages that we know, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. It's been written over centuries. So again, we need to look at the Bible not as one book, but rather as a collection of books. So as we read in the beginning, Genesis 2-7, Yahweh Elohim formed the man of dust from the ground, and he blew into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. We go on to read in verses 21-22, through 22, And Yahweh Elohim caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. While he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh where it had been. And Yahweh Elohim fashioned the rib which he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. Hallelujah, man. Good thing, right? And when we say, you know, woman is called woman because when man saw her, he, he said, whoa, man. And, and that's the origin of, of that word right there. Right. <laughs> we also see in Matthew, Yeshua speaking, the Pharisees also came to him testing him and saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife just for any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them, say it with me, male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So we already have... Yahweh in the beginning creating man and woman, making them one flesh. Now we see what he does with the nations as we move forward in the book of Acts. Acts 17, verses 24 through 26. Elohim, who made the world and everything in it, since he is sovereign of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with man's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives life to all, breath and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. And he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. So even like their geography. So look at one another, turn around, see who's around you, and realize you're all made from what one blood scripture says, even though we are diverse. And so the questions that you, you may have would be, if we arose from two people, how could we be so different today? Or secondly, how could people be so different if we only came from Adam and Eve? Sorry, Adam and Eve. So let's begin. Afterwards, in, in Genesis, we know that there's a catastrophic event known as, as the flood, correct? And everything was destroyed. We fast forward a little bit to Genesis chapter 9, and we see that the sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Again, the entire earth came from these, could be eight, but in, in reality, six people. Noah's sons and, his, and their wives, but they each had one wife. So again, we have the, the concept of monogamy right here. So some of you might say, and scientists would say, how is this, is this even possible? I was trying to do some fact-finding and couldn't find exactly what I was looking for, but let's just play a little game. Okay, out of curiosity, how many single men are here? Just raise your hand. Let's just see. Any, uh, a few. Okay, I see some in the back. Okay, okay, from ages like 10 on up. So that row over there, you guys need to raise your hand. Okay, 
let's just say if we had 50 single men. Okay, any single women in here? Any, all right? Ages, okay, see that, right? There, Lisa, okay, and others. Okay, Grace, all right. I'm not pointing you out. I'm just, just happy. Okay. So let's just say 50 men and 50 women were monogamous and came together. Okay. Let's be real. No one's going to have as many children as Ferris and Joanne these days. Okay. Yeah. Or probably even Charlotte and Ben. You know, let's just be real. Okay. So let's just say you, each couple had six kids. Okay. Generation one, you would have almost 400. Generation four, you're at over 11,000. Generation eight, not quite a million. Generation nine, 2.5 million people already. That is just incredible. And that's just having six kids. Imagine if you had 11. You know, that would be, it would be exponentially greater. So this growth model as well right now shows the generation to be only about 30 years because, you know, if we have kids, hopefully by the time they're 30, they've had kids. And, you know, by the time you're 60, you have grandkids. We need to remember that in Scripture, when we look at Noah's son, Shem lived to be 600 years. So, okay, Ferris and Joanne, if they lived to be 600 years, how many more kids could they have? That would be a lot, okay? So we just need to keep that in mind. So when we look at the descendants of Noah's family, they actually disperse throughout the whole world. You have Europeans, Russians, um, people in Africa, so uh, Danny and Kyler, would you just show this chart right here? It's on the front row. I have this amazing chart, and it's just way too big to put up. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave it on the stage afterwards. It gives you the history of the world from a biblical, biblical perspective. Oftentimes we say, hey, we're so advanced. We've been around such a long time. But when you look at the beginning of creation, Adam and Eve, all the way through the Exodus, there are thousands of years. So we'll leave this on here afterwards, so if you want to come up. But it's a great study, and it actually shows the line of where Noah's children went and where they ended up being. So it's just a great study, and it is both biblical and scientific at the same time. All right, thank you, gentlemen, if you want to just leave that there. So we know that when we go through Genesis 10 and Genesis 11, we have the incident of the Tower of Babel. So everyone was together in, I'll just say, the, the Middle East, or what we might call Israel, Palestine, that place. Yahweh saw what was happening. He confused their language. And what did he do? He dispersed them all over, all right? It's very interesting that as you read genealogies, and I know sometimes we overlook genealogies, but those names have meanings, and sometimes there's little clues right there. So, for example, in Genesis 10, verse 25, it says, and to Eber, two sons were born. The name of one was Peleg. Say it with me, what's underlined? For in his days the earth was divided. And the name of his brother was Joktan. So it's interesting, that word divided. I'm not exactly sure of the origin or what that means. It could be you are the people and you guys are going here, middle section, you're going over there, and you guys over there are going north. Um, it's actually, that's west. Anyway. Nonetheless, or it could be, again, this is Jose's commentary theology. It could also be that when Yahweh created the world, he says he separated the lands from the water. And if we look at theories like Pangea, could it be that the earth was one thing and then he divided the earth? And that's why we have pyramids in South America. We have pyramids 
in Africa like Egypt. We have pyramids in Asia. And so could it be that when he divided the earth, the earth was maybe one landmass and it just completely came apart? I do not know, but it's just a thought. And that's why we find similarities of the pagan religions just in every part uh, of this, con- of this uh, world that we live in. Ezekiel chapter 36, 18 through 20 says, Because of men's rebellion, therefore I poured out my fury on them for the blood they had shed on the land and for their idols which they had defiled. So I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. When they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name when they said of them, These are the people of Yahweh, and yet they have gone out of his land. So even out and about, Yahweh scattered his people, and they continued to profane his holy name. There is a scientific theory called Out of Africa, which basically states it's a hypothesis that all modern humans, that would be us, came from a single group of Homo sapiens out of Africa about 2,000 generations ago. And everyone could be traced to this place. From the biblical point of view, we see that Adam and Eve had children, sons and daughters. They ended up being Noah and his descendants. The people at the Tower of Babel were later scattered. And then we had these different people groups and cultures. Genesis 3.20, it's not written there, but it says, And Adam called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. So we have to keep in mind that dispersion causes changes. Um, There's adaptation. When I speak of macroevolution, we can see that after time being in a certain geographical area, changes start to occur. We've actually seen that in our family, just being in this part of the country for about 15 months. So when you look at the dispersion of the nations and people, where they are, depending on where you are in line with the equator, the farther north you go, like Greenland, the lighter you're going to be. The further south you go, like Australia and the Aborigines, the darker you're going to be. So we we, kind of see this. I have to tell you, my family and I have been here about 15 months now. We've had more ER visits in the time that we've moved here than we probably had in our lifetime. Getting used to the allergens, rashes, bacteria, uh, the city of Cisco water, you know. <laughs> it's, it's kind of taken its toll. And even though we only came from about a thousand miles away, we have had to adapt. I even actually told Shanina, since I've been here, I don't get as dark as I used to be. I don't know if it's too hot to be outside or what it is. But I've seen changes, and uh, I see some of your farmer's tans, too, and I, I can see that you guys are out in the sun, but uh, perhaps it's just a little bit too warm for me. So we get this diversity because we all carry about 3 million types of variations in us. There are only about 10 million, which means each of you have about a third of the variations that exist worldwide, and we can see how this fits into Adam and Eve and the people that are dispersed right now that Yahweh is calling back home. All right, so I'm going to show you a picture of our home fellowship when we were back in California. Uh, We were a small group, but we were a diverse group. These were some of the men. I want to highlight two people and see if you notice any similarities about these two men. (laughs) Now, what's really interesting is not just some of their physical features, but even some of their mannerisms. 
Um, Ramesh, who's on the right of your screen, grew up in New Zealand. He's originally from Sri Lanka and now lives in California. So we were at the Robinsons' home back in uh, Southern California when we were meeting when this picture was taken. Even if you look closely, look at the shape of their heads, their nose, their beards, their hair, um, <laughs> their, their body size. They, sometimes in the silhouette, because there, like, there was like a glass beveled door, we wouldn't know who was standing there. And even Harper, who is Caleb's daughter, who's on her lap, at this time, when Ramesh first came, she said, you look like my dad, only your chocolate. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that is so true. And really, the only difference between these two men would be the amount of melanin in their skin. The amount of melanin that we have really determines if you're going to burn or not. It's going to determine whether or not if you tan. And so the thicker melanin that you have, you know, the more sun you can absorb. Uh, The less melanin that you have is going to mean that you're probably going to burn just a little bit. Now, different people have different types and different amounts of melanin. Believe it or not, even so-called white people have quite a bit of melanin. I mean, look at this guy right here. So, if you all don't know Wendell Clausen, Wendell has said to me, he's been sometimes at the hardware store, and people come up to him and say, Señor, ¿me puedes ayudar a encontrar las herramientas? You know? <laughs> and Wendell in his fashion says, hey, hey, hey. Um, they'll say, hey, uh, yo no speaka Spanish. You know, well, he'll, he'll, he'll let them know. But... And really, the only thing about white about window would be his teeth. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, it's just like, it's right there. <laughs> but even during the summer months, he gives me a run for my money. And that um, when we look at it from a biblical perspective, we all have different amounts of genes. And this is a simplistic version. If you have little A's and little B's, it means you're going to be light skin tone because you have little melanin. If you have capital A's and capital B's, you're going to have quite a bit of melanin and be of darker skin tone. Anthropologists suggest that Adam and Eve were probably middle brown. And after all, they were made from the dirt. If we look at the color of dirt, it's not very light. It's not very, very dark. It's right in the middle. So they had every combination, capital A, lowercase a, capital B, lowercase b. Even in the Ark Encounter, I was looking at a little bit of research for Noah's sons. They say, like their parents, they were likely what we at the Ark Encounter called middle brown neither pale nor very dark. So they were probably in the middle, which explains why we all here, when we look around, have these different variations of skin colors. So there are different shades of skin color. I'm hoping that no one is truly white and no one is truly black. You know, we're just different shades of color in between. So here's another picture of our home fellowship group. Mr. Cozy, who's on the right, he just left yesterday. Dear friend of mine, many of you know James Adagoki, right? He's originally from Nigeria. He was in our fellowship group. So as I said, I'm, I don't get as dark as I used to be, but I have quite a bit of melanin, and I can actually get really dark. Really, when I sit across from Mr. Robinson, you can kind of see that dis- distinction right there. Growing up, when I would spend a lot of time outside and with my kids, I actually got pretty dark. So when you put me next to Mr. Adagoki, look at our skin tones. What's interesting is that the world would say, he's black and I'm brown. But in reality, there's not a whole lot of difference between the skin tones that we, that we have. And color is not in the Bible. And we need to remember that the origins of race and skin color comes from the author of origins, Charles Darwin. 
He said, at some future period, not very distant as measured by centuries, the civilized races of man will almost certainly exterminate and replace the savage races throughout the world. You see, because what Charles Darwin taught was that the darker you were, like the Aborigines in Australia, you were closer to the primates. And the more evolved you got, like the Europeans, you, you've excelled and, and you left that. So I assert, as I have before, if we want to end racism, we need to begin by eliminating Charles Darwin out of our schools and not Dr. Seuss. So, it's, it's really this theory of evolution that perpetuates lies, and this is what people need to wake up to. So Yahweh has created our DNA that is just incredible. And we can say we have Adam's DNA. We have the DNA of Noah's sons. And that's why throughout the world, if you kind of do a little bit of research, parents, especially of biracial couples, can have twins of different skin tones. These are all siblings. Would we say they're a different race coming from the same mom and dad? Absolutely not. Here are two brothers born from the same parents. Here's a, a, a black woman, what we would call giving what the news said, giving birth to two white children. And the geneticists were amazed. But I have to say, this, these are some beautiful children. I mean, just absolutely just amazing, beautiful children. So there are variations that we all carry. And as we continue to be dispersed, as we continue to mix and mingle, we're going to see that. Even eye-shaped variations we have throughout the world for different reasons. Um, but they're all eyes. They're all may need glasses, they might need contacts, but they're all eyes that see and perceive the world. I want to share a little bit, a little story about my parents. Um, that I hope I can get through. And I want to see this as a way of honoring my parents. My mother was here last year at the Feast of Tabernacles and passed away uh, a year ago next month. And I remember she said, next year I'll stay there. I'll camp out with you guys. Um, but we'll have to wait for the heavenly tabernacles feast for that to happen. But my parents came to this country in the late 1950s. Uh, they came here from Mexico. And you can see, you know, similar eye color, hair color, skin color. Uh, and uh, my parents had uh, one handsome son and three other children. I'll let you figure out who they are. So... As you can see, my siblings and I were a homogeneous-looking group. Stop laughing. Homogeneous means we look alike, you know, like similar. <laughs> you know, our hair color, eye color, skin tone more or less, we, we all are pretty look alike. So this is generation one. Let's look at generation two, which would be my parents' grandchildren. Do you see some changes already? You got my niece, Carmina, Yesenia, who's in the Air Force, my brother's daughter, Marissa, and then his other daughter, Andrea. Can you see the different variations already just after the second generation? Now I'm going to show you my parents and their great-grandchildren, generation three. Isn't it amazing how much we can change as we continue to move around? So these three individuals, Xavier, um, Isabella, and Michaela, they're all second cousins. Their moms are first cousins, and they're... Grandparents are my siblings. This is my oldest sister's son, my brother's, sorry, my oldest sister's grandson, my brother's 
granddaughter and then my other sister's granddaughter. They're a lot older than me, by the way. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so you can see already three generations, the big change that occurs. So here I am with my bride, my children. And again, I show this so you can just see how in one generation, how much people can change in either direction that we can see that. So, you know, a lot of us, um, I don't really care what my future son-in-law, what my future daughter-in-law will look like. What I do care is about their faith and, um, you know, where their hearts are at in terms of their relationship with Yahweh. So I'm going to be very, very vulnerable right now, if I haven't been already. I'm going to show you a picture of my youth and my friends and with whom I grew up. Because our environments really shape our perspective. It shapes how we relate to people. So I'm going to show you a picture when I was having a birthday party. I was probably about seven or eight. All right? Anyone notice anything about my friend group? Quite diverse. I was actually diverse before diversity was even a thing. I mean, this is like real. When I look, go back on the street that I lived on, next door to me was a family that we would say was black. On the other side of me was a family that we would say was white. Across the street from me was a family that we would now call Native American or first generation. About two doors down or three doors down, we had a family from Cuba. Next door to them was a family from the Philippines. Okay, I'm just curious. Did anyone here grow up in a neighborhood like this? Uh, okay, so, well, okay, a couple. Okay, so a few people grew up in a neighborhood like this. I need to tell you, as I said, we've been in Texas about 15 months. When I go to Dallas, Fort Worth, it starts to become a culture shock for me because I'm not used to this diversity. And I can't help but think sometimes, if you've grown up here your entire life, how you might feel. I mean, even my son, when we go to the Metroplex, he's like, I don't like it here. Too many people. It's too busy. Let's go, you know. And it's interesting how we adapt and how we are truly products of our environment. So what does the Bible say about mixed marriages? We know that Abraham had servants from um, Egypt. Uh, We know that Joseph married an Egyptian. Uh, Moses married uh, a Midianite. Rahab was a Canaanite, and we find Rahab in Yeshua's genealogy. Ruth was a Moabite. Bathsheba's husband was a Hittite. So truly, you know, Yahweh doesn't want us to be unequally yoked. You know, it's non-believer, non-believer, okay. Believer and believer, yes. What he speaks against is believer and non-believer. That's why in 2 Corinthians 6.14 he says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Yahweh doesn't want us to have spouses that are going to lead us astray. You know, it's interesting. In Numbers chapter 12, there's a story of Miriam and Aaron speaking against Moses who married an Ethiopian. I'm going to read from Numbers chapter 12. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they said, Has Yahweh indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he also not spoken through us? And Yahweh heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. Suddenly Yahweh said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out, you three. Come to the tabernacle of meeting. Could you imagine that? You'd be like so scared. (laughs) Um, So the three came out. 
Then Yahweh came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both went forward and he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, Yahweh, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of Yahweh. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So the anger of Yahweh was aroused against them, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and she was a leper. So Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my master, please do not lay the sin on us in which we have done foolishly, in which we have sinned. Please do not let it be as one dead, whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. Then Yahweh said to Moses, If her father father had spit in her face, would she not be shamed for seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterwards she may be received again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again. And afterward the people moved from Hazroth and camped in the wilderness at Paran. So here we see Yahweh was angry because people spoke against Moses' wife who was an Ethiopian. They called it sin. And we need to be cautious not to speak out of other people, of biracial marriages, that's what we call them today, um, because Yahweh does not look favorably upon that. What he does want us to avoid is making sure that our spouse does not turn us away from him. 1 Kings 11.4 For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to Yahweh his El, as was the heart of his father David. And then Deuteronomy actually gives advice to kings. It says, Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he multiply silver and gold for himself. So it's very important that young men, women, single men, single women, that when you find a spouse, it's someone who's going to turn you towards Yahweh, not turn you away from them. It's interesting. A lot of people would say that there are nations that are pure, there are nations that are upright. But every culture has their paganism. And you go to northern Europe, you've got Stonehenge, and you've got North, Norse uh, mythology, like in Norway. Australia has creatures. Um, you go to India, Asia, there's Buddha. And Middle East, there's Babylon. All the Americas, you're going to find pyramids, you know, even in this area, all the way down to the tip of South America. So we all have gone astray, just as Scripture says. And Yahweh wants to turn our hearts back home. He wants to bring us back home and turn ourselves to Him. Colossians 3, 9 through 11 says, Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of Him who created Him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, nor slave, nor free, but Messiah is all and in all. It's very important that we look past genetics. Um, we need to be like Yahweh in 1 Samuel 16. He said that man looks at the outward appearance. He says, but I look at what? The heart, the inward. He looks at the heart. And our culture has bombarded us on how we can look. You have people who are light-skinned who want to be dark. You have dark-skinned people who want to be light. You have 
brunettes, we want to be blonde. This culture has permeated us where we're not accepting ourselves how Yahweh has created us. And he created us to be the way that we are. And so again, I think it's important that we look at the person, their minds, their needs, their hearts, their cares. We need to look at people. I have so appreciated uh, Jackson Miller, who has been serving so much. And when I see him, I don't see a white guy with a mustache. I see someone with a servant's heart who's willing to serve. Uh, Last night we had a little issue in the restroom in the dining hall, and he went to work and you know, going around in the golf cart, getting brooms and shovels and hoses and different things that we need. And other men joined together to help out. I have so appreciated um, getting to know my brother Danny, you know, and a faithful man of prayer and who prays for me. Um, I appreciate getting to know Jordan Mansager at camp. He served and drove the jet ski for kids. And uh, as I got to know him, I don't see him as the redhead. You know, I see him as a man who is a role model for other young men. Um, I so appreciate Clyde Davis, who's right here. I met Clyde uh, when we first came in 2019. Clyde is one of the most gentle men, caring men I have ever met. And I don't see his color of skin. I see his heart, and I'll tell you why. Last year, when I spoke, after the feast was over, I received this text. And he essentially was thanking me for my message and said, You know, what you said, I can back up with scripture and I want to share it with my family and you are a vessel of Yah. Thank you. That's how I'm going to remember Clyde. Not the outward appearance, but a heart that beams and a heart that is just so huggable, you know. And so, again, we need to be like Yahweh and and remember to look at the hearts of people. Yahweh dispersed people all over and there are different variations. It's interesting. My wife is from, from Argentina and um, sometimes even other Hispanic people would say, wow, you speak Spanish really well for a white girl. And she's like, uh, thanks, I grew up speaking Spanish. Because <laughs> that's because in Argentina, there are so many variations. This is Valeria Massa. She's a cover girl model. Um, the actress who plays Rory in Gilmore Girls is Argentinian. So it's interesting that Yahweh has really moved around. And there are blue-eyed people. There are dark people all throughout uh, the country, uh, the, the world. This is a former president, Fujimori. Anyone want to guess where he was president? Anyone recognize the flag? Those of you in world history? This is the former president of Peru. He was the Peruvian president for about, I think it was, well, he was more of a dictator from my understanding, but for a number of years. So it's interesting that already we see this dispersion and people rising up. Yahweh is indeed inclusive, but he is inclusive with stipulations. For example, from Isaiah chapter 56, he says, Thus says Yahweh, keep justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come, and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who lays hold of it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to Yahweh speak, saying, Yahweh has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuchs say, Here I am, a dry tree. For thus says Yahweh, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place, 
and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name and shall not be cut off. And also the sons of the foreigner who joins themselves to Yahweh to serve him, to love him, the name of Yahweh, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling my Sabbath and holds fast my covenant. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifice will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be a house of prayer. For whom? All nations. Yahweh Elohim who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yet I will gather to him others besides who are gathered with him. Nowhere do I think we see this more in the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch uh, found in Acts chapter 8. Now an angel of Yahweh said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading over the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now this is a passage of scripture that he was reading. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its sheared is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Yeshua. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the spirit of Yahweh carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Amen? Galatians chapter 3. For you are all sons of Elohim through faith in Messiah Yeshua. For as many of you as were baptized into Messiah have put on Messiah. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female. For you are all one in Messiah Yeshua. And if you are Messiahs, then you are descendants of Abraham, heirs according to promise. You are Abraham's heirs, descendants of Abraham. I am so happy for the families, the individuals who were baptized, and we were able to see this. Malachi 2.10 Have we not all one Father? Has not one El created us? Why then do we deal treacherously, treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers? Romans chapter 10, verses 11 through 13. For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same sovereign over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of Yahweh shall be saved. And again, there's probably no other place than that we see this in Pentecost when the Spirit descended upon all nationalities, all people. They even said, why? There, there's, 
they're speaking, they're praising what's going on, and Yahweh shows no partiality. We also see this in the Torah. Leviticus chapter 19. And if a stranger dwells with you in your land, you shall not mistreat him. The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh your Elohim. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 through 19. For Yahweh your El is El of Elohim and sovereign of sovereigns. The great El, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were stranger in the land of Egypt. And stranger here is actually the word foreigner. We see this in 1 Kings. Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from afar for your namesake, for they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays towards his temple, this is Solomon writing, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all which the foreigner calls to you, that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you and do as your people Israel and that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. This here is a very unique place. And I believe even Yahweh is calling people here to this place uh, that we might call and know his name. So ultimately, there is just one race with two groups of people, the people of Yahweh and those who are not his. In the book of Revelation, we read, after these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, all of the nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throng and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our El, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And the angels stood around the throne, and the elders, and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped Elohim, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our L forever and ever. Amen. Brent, are you able to pull up this video right here? I want to show you. I believe as Brent pulls up this video, Yahweh's word is completely going throughout the nations. And it's more people knowing his name. Take a look at this. They are reciting Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. That you? <laughs> is it, the... I, I hope so because when they come to visit, I need some of you to house them, all right, <laughs> and uh, put them up for a little bit. <laughs> this is the 119 map. 119 ministry, they promote the Torah, they promote the Sabbath, the feast, the name of Yahweh. And this shows house assemblies, places where people are gathering throughout the entire earth to worship Yahweh. And it's interesting, and I know there are people with good intentions, but I sometimes go places and I have a New Testament, 
and, and Christians will say, begin with the book of John, and they read, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But I think, how can they understand that Yeshua is the Lamb if they've never read about the Passover in Exodus, if they don't know truly what the Lamb of Elohim is? And so I am excited to see truly the name of Yahweh and coming, you know, and really going out to all the nations. We need to remember Ephesians 2.11 where we were. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands that you were at one time without Messiah being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise having no hope without Elohim in the world but now Messiah Yeshua you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah Amen Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. As we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, remember, this is a feast for all nations. It is for everyone. Zechariah chapter 14 says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came up against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, Yahweh of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever families of what the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the King Yahweh of hosts, on them there will be no rain. I was excited that there was rain that first night. Might have some more rain coming. If the families of Egypt will not come up and enter, they shall have no rain. And they shall receive the plague which Yahweh strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Here are some pictures of the Feast of Tabernacles happening in Israel right now. You have Asian families, the Asian nations going there. You have different tribes. You have people from Brazil, people from African countries going to Jerusalem. Zechariah chapter 8 says, I am zealous for Zion with great zeal, with great fervor. I am zealous for her. For Yahweh says, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of Yahweh of hosts, the holy mountain. Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each run with his staff in his hand because of the great age. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. If it is a marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of the people in these days, will it not be marvelous in my eyes? Says Yahweh of hosts. Behold, I will save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west. I will bring them back, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people, and I will be their Elohim in truth and righteousness. As I close here, Revelation chapter 22 says, Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to enter that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through their gates in the city. But outside are the dogs and the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. We are here to obey his commandments. Maybe you're here at the nudging of the person. Maybe you're, you're feeling like you're outside the gates. Well, now is the time to enter, to be one in a throng of people, of people that he is calling together to keep his commandments. When the Son of Man comes, 
in his glory and all the holy angels with him. Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. I humbly ask, what side will you be on? All nations are coming together to learn from him and that's why our theme has been return to me with your whole heart to come together to see us as one group of people. Let us pray. Would you stand with me as we pray? Our Father, we are grateful for your love. We are grateful that you are calling your people back home and that you are turning people's hearts towards you. And it doesn't matter what color they are. It doesn't matter what language they speak. But you bring us to you. And we are so very grateful. And we bless your holy name.